Hi, I'm Sabrina from the Pixel team. This now week, Google announced its latest phone, actions. the Pixel 4. It's a completely redesigned with a new look, a new color, and a beautiful new finish. There's been hype around this phone for months. Its features were the worst-kept secret in tech. So the stuff that Google said at the launch this week was kind of old news. And Pixel 4 includes camera features and sensors that you're not going to find on any other phone. Let's start there. But there's one specific feature that's gotten a lot of attention. This summer, Google released a video on its blog. The video shows the Pixel 4 floating in midair in a dark room. A dark-skinned black woman approaches. She holds her face in front of the screen, and instantly, the phone unlocks. Now, face unlock isn't new in tech. iPhones have been able to do this since 2017. But what the video did seem to say was that Google was trying to solve a problem. If you're not black, you might not know this, but facial recognition technology is notoriously bad at detecting people with dark skin. The technology often misidentifies them or doesn't detect them at all. So the fact that Google made the video is significant. Google is basically saying, we see you, and this phone was made with you in mind. And then the New York Daily News broke a story that revealed exactly how Google was making its tech more inclusive. I can't believe I just sold my face to Google for $5. Like, oh, wow. Ginger Adams Otis, you're a reporter for the New York Daily News, and along with your colleague Nancy Dillon, you broke a story two weeks ago about the work that Google has been doing to improve its Pixel phone. What did you find? We found uh, that in trying to create a biometric facial recognition feature, which would allow your face to unlock your phone, they needed to build a big database of faces so that they could, and these are their words, train the machine so that the technology recognizes all the different varieties of people that there are. And so to do that, they sent teams of people out to collect facial scans. And the people collecting them, the four hire workers, were not upfront or clear about what they were gathering the data for, what the people needed to do, um, what they were giving consent for. And in some cases, they targeted specific groups with darker skin tones. How did they go about gathering this information about people? Well, uh, Google has acknowledged that they've done uh, sort of voluntary requests for people um, basically going up to them on the street and saying, hey, would you like to let Google scan your face? Uh, and they would offer a $5 gift card if, you know, if you wanted it. But in some cases, they weren't getting, I guess, the diversity that they wanted. So they had to broaden sort of their repertoire of how they were asking. How long have we known that Google has been scanning people's faces on the street? They started this project, as far as we know, probably back in January, but I think they had done an earlier iteration of it, and many tech companies do. I mean, they have to get faces. Just the sentence, they have to get faces, is yeah. one of the more dystopian <laughs> things I've heard recently. So walk me through sort of what is the ideal scenario for getting this kind of data from people? Someone just walks up to you on the street, and then what? I would think of best practices, and this is just going off of a compilation of talking to a bunch of different people, would be that um, a private company looking to buy something from you or use something of yours, commodify you, in essence, um, should be upfront about exactly what they're doing and make sure you have fully informed consent. And that would require a full explanation and time to read the consent form before you say yes. And actually, 
we saw an iteration of the Google consent form, and they did a pretty good job of crunching it down into some tight points. So it, it is possible to let people fully know what's going on. Do you know what kind of device they were using for these face scans? Can you sort of describe how that works? We saw it, actually, ourselves, um, mm-hmm. a team out gathering data in California, and people would take the gadget. It was pretty sizable, you know, not tablet size, but bigger than a small iPhone, for example. And it had a circle on it, and it would say sort of center your face and follow the dot with your nose. And, you know, they would be rotating their face from different angles and up and down, and the person has to hold it because you need a full, like, 3D scan. And from your reporting, we know that the company, Google, was targeting people of color and that they wanted to get data from their faces especially. Um, What has Google said it was doing, and, and why did it need that kind of a data set? Google wanted all kinds of skin tones and faces and features. So they weren't, I don't think, specifically setting out just to target a certain demographic. Um, but what they, what is well known about this kind of technology is it is less reliable on darker skin because it doesn't have enough practice. And Google said to us, we really need to train the machine. So Google says that it was actually doing this to make its products more inclusive. That sounds like a noble goal to me in, in some ways. Where did things go wrong? Well, um, they hired a firm, a hiring firm, to bring in contractors, and they were kind of given some marks to hit in terms of quantity of faces scanned. Um, They were given instructions, you know, to just get people to sign up, get people to say yes, skip by the consent form, tell them it's a game, tell them it's like a new kind of Snapchat or a mini game. You know, don't outright lie, but don't get bogged down in the details because, you know, we need to keep this flowing. Kind of sounds like people didn't know what they were signing up for. Some people probably didn't. The people that we spoke to that we saw in California um, after the team left, we'd ask them, did mm-hmm. you know this was for Google? And they were scanning your face. And they were like, no, I, we didn't hear Google. We thought it was just a game. Um, of course, one of the stories that we heard and reported was that a team had been sent to Atlanta specifically to look for homeless people of color with the idea being they're less likely to worry about why they're being asked for their face. Wow. The city of Atlanta is very upset. The city attorney actually wrote to Google. Uh, I spoke to the mayor of Atlanta, and their feeling is it's not cool to prey on a vulnerable population, and there's issues of consent within some people who experience homelessness. You mentioned that that this whole project, at least the the parts that you were reporting on, were done through a a third-party company. Were these workers visiting Google facilities? Were they dealing with Google managers? What's the evidence tying some of these practices directly to Google? Our understanding from multiple sources is that while these people, these four hire workers were contracted through the company called Randstad, most, if not all of them, worked out of various Google headquarters. They used the Google amenities, Google cafeteria. They got on the Google bus. They got all of the fun Google stuff. And we saw some documentation that uh, gave us indications of specific Google managers Mm -hmm. that were involved in key parts of this. So you published this story sort of calling out Google for their contractors' behavior. What is Google's response to all of this? So they have acknowledged that they were out looking for people with darker skin because of known flaws in the technology. And and as you said, the goal is to make a better product. Um, As to sort of the methods, what we called the 
allegations of dubious tactics. Uh, Google said, we're suspending this. We're investigating. We put a premium value on transparency, and we're going to check all of this out. But the phone still went ahead and launched, right? So they're still benefiting, presumably, from the data that they gathered. Sure. And in the consent form that we saw, which was, again, an iteration of an evolving document, the consent is for this project. But once they build that technology and use your face, your data, to build this product, where that back-end technology goes is not defined in the consent form. What stands out to you about this story? When you take a step back, what do you hope people will take away from your reporting? Uh, Well, I think there's several key things that everybody should really focus in on here, myself included, because I'm not a tech reporter by day. Uh, I'm a worker, people reporter. I think as people... We have to start thinking a little bit more critically about what's our role in big tech, because what big tech wants from us is our data. And in this case, it's literally part of our bodies. Uh, Are we for sale? And uh, if we're going to be for sale, then are you negotiating a price or are you just going, oh, you want me to play a cool game? Okay, I'll do it. What do you think of the $5 gift card? Does that seem like enough to you? (laughs) <laughs> that raises the point of, if it's not enough, what what's our price? Which is a scary question to contemplate. Um, but I think, to me, that's almost like a smart way to make it innocuous. Right. If you're offering me $100, I might start asking more questions. But right. $5 seems kind of relaxed and kind of chill. Right. Yeah. You know, to Starbucks. All right, great. I'll get a tall. Ginger Adams Otis is a reporter at the New York Daily News. Google wanted these data to make its tech more inclusive. But this isn't the first time researchers have done questionable things in the name of something noble. That's after the break. Benjamin, you study the intersection of race, science, and technology at Princeton. How do you explain the racial bias we often see in facial recognition technologies? How did we get here? Yeah, you know, I think that part of what we're seeing in the last few years is so many examples that are revealing that human beings have to teach computers how to compute. <laughs> and so the the input for computational systems largely shapes the output. If, say, a company has um, discriminated against women in its hiring for the last 50 years, and so the employee base in that company um, is overwhelmingly male, and that is the data that's being trained for a hiring system that's looking for um, new employees, then that that hiring system is going to assume that this company is not interested in in, uh, female applicants um, based on this precedent. And so history is helping to predict the future in this case. When you read those stories in the New York Daily News, what was your gut reaction? Oh, here we go again. So racialized groups have been targeted and included in harmful experimentations throughout our country's histories whether it was slavery or Jim Crow or mass incarceration. 
scientists and doctors have gone after the most vulnerable populations in order to hone various technologies and techniques. Under slavery, we had J. Marion Sims, who people call the father of gynecology, who experimented on enslaved women to hone surgical techniques that we still use today. Some of the women were operated on up to 30 times without anesthesia, some eventually dying from infections resulting from the experiments. Under Jim Crow, we had the U.S. Public Health Service experimenting on black farmers who had syphilis and then denying them treatment once that treatment was known in order to continue to observe them. Many people know of this as the Tuskegee experiment, but it was a U.S. Public Health Service-sponsored experiment. And then up until the present, there's a great book um, called Acres of Skin um, that looks at experiments that happened in Philadelphia um, in which a dermatologist saw these prisoners and was just excited about the ability to use what he called acres of skin in his uh, experiments. And so throughout each of these, it's going after vulnerable populations. All of these were framed as something that was for the public good, right? And so none of none of the people who were engaging in this thought of themselves as sort of sinister characters. They saw themselves as developing things that everyone would eventually benefit from. And so in that way, Google's experiment builds on a long tradition. And it might seem not as severe in comparison, but it sets a precedent in which we sort of turn a blind eye when it goes after people that are already vulnerable and are, who are likely to be harmed even when these technologies are developed well. Um, and so I think it's good that Google pulled the research and that there's a kind of widespread questioning of whether we actually want this precedent to hold. I'm wondering... How much responsibility should Google have in all of this? Should we be holding Google accountable for this, or should it be the third-party contractor uh, that sort of went about gathering this data? Absolutely, Google should be held responsible in terms of commissioning the research to begin with. My understanding is that some of those contract workers are the ones who actually kind of blew the whistle on this. And so in that way, they were holding themselves responsible in a way that they didn't necessarily have to. Um, and so I do think that those who are commissioning the research, who are posing the problem to begin with, that the data is supposed to answer or address, should definitely be responsible. And at the same time, I don't think we should allow companies to only hold themselves accountable. We do need a larger sort of public accountability, whether it has to do with laws or governance, that steps in and that is part of the process. Because as we see, when we just leave it to private entities to hold themselves accountable, there are all kinds of ways in which they fail to do so. In your mind, what does it mean for a company like Google to be involved in something that's so reminiscent of how scientists have treated Black people in this country in the past? It, it just brings to mind that we don't learn our history. I mean, we think of ourselves as so radically different from our predecessors as, you know, the people who conducted this. In hindsight, we can see it so clearly. Oh, my, you know, we shouldn't be experimenting on people who can't truly give consent because the institution that they are um, surrounded by is itself coercive, whether it's prisons or plantations. Um, but now we have a hard time looking at our present reality with the same critical eye. And it also says something about who's working at Google and who has really power to speak up and to say something when they see something going in the wrong direction. And so part of it is 
the expertise around the table. And so I think part of the the sort of institutional change has to be thinking about what forms of expertise are relevant to tech development and that historians, sociologists, political scientists, and others who would have likely called this out or had the power to call this out much earlier in the process before it, you know, hit the news um, should be understood as relevant and necessary to tech development, not an afterthought. So kind of wanting to close the loop here. I could see somebody reading this Google story and saying, hey, here is this company that is actually trying to fix this racial bias problem, right? They were trying to get more black faces included in the database. Is that uh, a reasonable takeaway? Just the desire to create an inclusive product doesn't justify engaging in a coercive process to get to that end. We have to care about the means partly because of that history I described and because those who are being enrolled in this particular process of in making Google's product more inclusive, that's going to benefit Google in the end. Their bottom line is going to benefit and likely these populations are not going to directly benefit from their engagement in this. We have to remember this is a company that is trying to sell goods and products. And the kind of inclusion rhetoric um, is is often used to mask what is really at stake, who's going to benefit, and who's who's likely going to be harmed by making facial recognition software more effective. The fact that these facial recognition systems beyond Google's particular product are likely to be enrolled in surveillance projects, whether by police or ICE or other institutions. The irony is that the very populations who are being targeted for this, people with darker skin, homeless people, etc., are likely to be those targeted by these surveillance um, practices. And so the process could have been ethical, but the outcome could still be something we should question. Ruha Benjamin teaches at Princeton. Her latest book is called Race After Technology. We reached out to Google to hear their take on this, and they didn't get back to us. This is Reset. If you like the pod, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back with another episode on Sunday. Later, nerds.